Welcome to the Paragraphing Podcast, a story told one paragraph at a time. I'm your host, Jamie Steidel, joined by my co-host and brother, Brendan Steidel. Each day, Brendan and I take turns writing a new paragraph of the story. Each week on the podcast, we read the latest paragraphs and then discuss the writing process, where the story has gone, and where it might go next. Today, we're reading about Nuclear Holocaust. No, that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) A comical story about one man's destructive prop. So this is episode three, we should probably say. It is episode three. Of the Paragraphing Podcast. And um, I believe we left off with um, uh, a good period on March 12th, which I wrote. And basically what happens in a good period is that um, our main character, who we know his name now, Kelvin. That's where I'm supposed to... Yes, yes you're supposed to say his name. I um, couldn't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, was, he was 15 feet above floating where he created out of thin air, it seemed, his very own army of baby chickens. So basically, he's been lifted up by the ambassador again and, um, and is floating over him uh, with the river, essentially. And uh, he's looking down, and he's seeing these this army of baby chickens, and he wants to know where they're going and what they intend to do when they get there. So that's where we left All off. All right. And what, All right. now you can begin. And this one is my section, titled, There is a Thrill in Falling. There is a thrill in falling. This thrill is the reason why skydiving is a pastime, and the sort of pastime I always pass on. To say that the thrill of falling... After countless tumbles, from titanium levitation to sliding down a ravine, was getting old, would be an understatement. After I tumbled, river and all, back into the river-worn chasm, I was done with it. I was done with anything that involved me in the air. I plodded up to the surface of the raging, angry water and watched as the little chickens lifted up the ambassador and started carrying him off into the forest. I swam to shore and collapsed on my back, staring up at the blue sky and wished so much that I wasn't going to be up there ever again. We have to go up there again, Macy said, her head popping into view and blotting out half the sky. We just booked a flight. Wait, what? I asked. We have to go to Bamboo Island, in the Zoetranian Sea, Chevron said, his head appearing and blocking the rest of my view. We have to go up there? I asked and pointed up. I didn't want to go up anywhere. I don't want to go up anywhere, I said. Where's the ambassador? Macy asked. He got kidnapped by a bunch of chickens, I said. A magic trick gone wrong, I think. They carried him off into the woods. Great Scott, Chevron said, his mouth agape. What is it? I asked. Best cancel those plane tickets, he said. Those were no chickens. But Selena Veronica West and Seamus Bartholomew Gorsick III, Macy said. She looked at me. And Rick. They are fine, Chevron said. It's these other chickens. They're not chickens at all. What are they, Macy asked. The disguisious antidextrous, the elusive ant of Mapleton, more commonly known as the actor ant. The actor ant, I asked. Yeah, sure, Chevron said. You have the worker, the soldier, and the actor. Great Xander, Macy said. And they were. Yes, Chevron said. They were acting. And we looked where the ambassador had been taken, the woods looming menacingly in front of us. One thing I don't understand, Macy started. Don't get me started, Chevron said. 
No, do, do get him started, Macy, I coaxed. I was starting to weary of this testy taste tester. Ants aren't the size of chickens, she finished. Usually, Chevron said. Always, Macy insisted. No, Chevron explained. An ant, yes, an ant is smaller than any uh, one chicken. But do you know how many ants there are on Earth? Hmm, I thought. I know how many chickens there are, I offered. Fifteen plus four, that's, I counted on my fingers, practically twenty of them. There are more ants on Earth than there are molecules in the universe, Chevron asserted, with absolutely no shred of proof or scientific standing. Uh Uh-huh, Macy nodded, accepting the statement at face value. So you can imagine, imagine with me, would you? You can imagine just how easy it would be for those ants to assemble themselves as molecules assemble into any shape or color or motive they'd like, Chevron said. Hence the chickens, Macy said. Hence the chickens, Chevron warned. But I'm afraid the chickens are only the beginning. How many did you say there were? Fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, I calculated. Eighteen or nineteen, I think. Fifteen, remember, of the new ant variety, Chevron corrected. But to make what looks like fifteen chickens takes many more ants than even you or I might surmise. Forty, I said boldly. Chevron looked back. "'bold as his big eyes would allow. "'Try forty thousand, nay, forty thousand thousand. "'You mean a thousand times a thousand? I asked. "'I mean just what I meant,' he sent back. "'I mean you have to understand what you're dealing with here. "'Actor ants could be anything or anyone at any moment. "'Once you've seen them in action, you see them in inaction everywhere. "'Nowhere is safe from their thespian ways.' "'Ha, <laughs> Macy laughed. Or was it a laugh? Or was it Macy? Trust me, Chevron said. You'll never trust anyone ever again. And he was right. I didn't trust a word of it. We have to do something, Macy exclaimed. Something is not the issue, Chevron said. The issue is what something can any of us do if all the ants are all of us. We can trust nothing. I think therefore I'm not, he said, misquoting a famous line by a less famous philosopher. It's I think, therefore I am, Macy corrected him. But are you, Chevron said, questioning the bedrock of all Western thought. Chevron was on a clear course for self-destruction. He was doing mental workouts with a brain that was not fit. We have to find the ambassador, no matter what, Macy said, whether he's an actor made of ants or not. It is our duty. Not mine, Chevron said. It is your duty. You're the taste tester. Well, I don't like the taste of this, Chevron said. Besides, chasing after ants is different than trying a bowl of tasty soup. He plopped down on the ground and did what any confused person would do. He pouted. I like his thinking, I said, falling down beside him. Let's just sit here and everything will sort itself out. That's how the world works. No point in arguing with the universe. I turned to Chevron. More ants than molecules, eh? The universe is a crazy place. I hope to move there someday. Maisie wasn't having any of it. She reached with both her hands and grabbed each of our ears. I was in her right hand, Chevron in her left, and she tugged us up from the earth. Safe to say that getting your ear tugged is more painful than being lifted up by titanium levitation. I will not be held back from our mission by buffoons like you, she said. And she dragged us into the woods. Now I know how the ambassador felt when he was carried away, Chevron said. Quiet, you, Macy said. We are being followed. 
Macy knew all about being followed, for Macy had followed this line of thinking her whole life. The thinking of must. At five years old, must was making a name for herself among a family of five siblings, each extraordinarily loud and loquacious. She must find a way, she told herself, and so she told them. Must you be so loud? She told them, you mustn't miss the world. Yes, she made the loud listen, not by being louder herself, but through silence. Listen, do you hear it? She made them hear it, the sound of the world that by talking they missed. At ten years old, Must was finding her way out of the power blackouts, and leading the way not with a flashlight, but the flash of a smile. Yes, so many people were afraid of the dark that her fearless smile brightened every turn she made, so that no path was unknown. This attracted a crowd, so that by fifteen years old, Must was projecting her voice loud enough for all to hear, even when they were hard of hearing. Now, twice as far from fifteen as fifteen was from five, she stands with the wisdom to be just what the situation required her to be. Just what the situation said she must be in command. The follower, or pursuer, was so much better at pursuing than I was at leading, that the pursuer overtook us and followed our path beyond us. He walked right by us, bowler hat, checkered jacket, beard, brown boots and all, He was so good at following where we were going that he passed us by and was going to get to where we were going before us. What do we do, I asked. Well, Chevron said, I've never seen someone who was so good at following people before. You could see the admiration in his eyes. I say, Macy said, we should follow him. He seems to know where it is we are going. Since we don't know where that is, logically, he should take us there. Chevron and I both exchanged looks. Sounds good to us, we said in unison. And so we followed Macy, the new leader of our small troop, as she followed the pursuer who was following us, leading us to where it was we were supposed to go, wherever that is. It was all a bit wearying, you know, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I was wearied by the events of the afternoon. Well, late morning. My God, was it still morning? By this time, the plan was... What was the plan? I asked Macy. Huh? What had been our plan at this point, I asked again, having discovered the power of eggs. We had a plan after that, no? To find the ambassador, she said, which is exactly what we are doing. Oh, was that it? I perked up. A rather successful run of it, then. Macy looked back at me, blankly. Never one to celebrate, I know, I told her, but to find such success in sticking to the plan. And it's still morning, mind you. I found a comfortable log and took a load off. I slipped off my loafers, squeaked off, I should say. They were still wet and not friendly in their atmosphere. I tossed them a few paces away. After all, what is a celebration without the right atmosphere? What are you doing? Macy asked when she saw this display. I took a deep breath of air, sweet with the scent of dessert, just as you'd expect in the forest of willowing dessert. The sun was shining, the temperature was right, a light sway to the trees, that whispery, wispy sound in the leaves. It was just beautiful and the only thing missing was the lull of a brook or stream or something, and maybe seating that was a little more comfortable than a log. Or perhaps a log with more padding to it. You have to keep the nature, natural spirit of the place, after all. And some tasty dessert to go with the aroma of the place. Something light, uh, fruity with whipped cream. The whippiest of whipped cream, with a hint of lemon. We don't have any lemon, Chevron said flatly. Uh, what? I asked. You were saying whipped cream and lemon. We don't have any lemon in linsalum. He confirmed. What I? Hmm. I didn't remember saying all that out loud. Oh, believe me, Macy huffed. You were loud about it. Was I? 
practically screaming, Macy screamed. Yes, screamed herself. Well, I trailed off. Well, what? Macy asked. Now, I had a great respect for the gal, but you don't claim deafness when you've just deafened the room. Or woods, as it happens. You own up to it. You deafen with defiance or don't deafen at all, I say. So I had to say something. I have to say something about this, Macy. Tut, tut, I tutted. You know very well, well, what? There's no need to practice the scream on your part when claiming a practical scream on mine. What are you talking about? She put her chick down now so she could focus all attention on her log-seated companion. I didn't scream. You're the one who's been screaming about lemons and logs with better padding. I heard it with my own ears. Well, that's impossible because I didn't speak it with my own lips. No, Chevron cut in. It's not the lips that do most of the screaming. It's the... He made a spirited no motion under his chin. The throat, I offered? No. The neck? No, Macy sighed. The vocal cords. Precisely, Chevron said. I saw how this was going. And where in its going, it was going to get us. The two of them, performing a pass to do of sorts, dancing in contracting circles, spinning a circle of fancies in a tight little knot around me. Me, at the center of their naughty notions. For no other reason than to pass the time, I tell you. Because to sit on a log and linger wasn't enough for them. The sweet scent of the willows wasn't willowy enough. Well, if you insist on... Shh, Macy said. I was just... Shut up, she turned to Chevron. Did you see what I saw? I didn't see anything, Chevron said, but he said it with a sense of portent. It made my skin crawl, really it did. What's all this about, I demanded. What did or didn't you see? We saw your skin crawl, really we did, Macy said, or we didn't see it, we heard it. What are you talking about? Naughty notions, Chevron said. Macy looked me square in the eye, and without moving her lips said, we can read your thoughts. I shook my head and thought, you mean here, you can hear my thoughts, and I can hear yours. Trouble, trouble. Double trouble. Yeah, and the willowing forest of desserts. (laughs) (laughs) I had to remember that. I I was remembering it as I was saying it. Yeah, I had to to look it up. I was like, now where are they? You you keep moving around so much. I was like, they went up a hill from the river... And I think they're still in the forest. And the chickens, their chickens are still there, I think. I, I'm glad you mentioned them because I completely forgot about them. <laughs> you, you brought up a few things that, that we probably needed mentioning again. You brought up Forest of Willing Dessert, where they are, and the chickens. The chickens completely forgot. And, oh, and they have to find the uh, ambassador. Right. Did you, bring, you mentioned that in this one, right? Yeah. I said, I said that we had a plan after that. No, to find the ambassador, she said, which is exactly what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what they're doing. And uh, I think we lost the whole part about the uh, the peppers. All right. I think we're, we're all just as confused as they are. Well, what, you know, it, it started with, you know, Macy and our main character, Kelvin, were testing to see if eggs could defeat titanium levitation. And then we had the, uh, the uh, taste tester, Chevron, come in and start chatting about them because they knew that they needed pepper to make it taste better. And then the ambassador came, and he agreed that they needed pepper. And so they all went off looking for pepper. But then the ambassador, I don't what happened? He fell down into the river or something. 
He slid yeah, down. Yeah, he tumbled. Yeah, he There's tumbled down into the river, he, and then they just continued talking, and they didn't seem to bother about that at <laughs> well, all. Well, no, no, remember? No, remember? They were talking, and then he just decided to, um, our main character, Kelvin, that's his name. Yeah. Uh, he decided, and he, I think he, you wrote this one, he slid down the ravine. Well, yeah, because he had had enough he of it. He chose to. Yeah, he chose it. Yeah. So then he went down, and, and he landed on the ambassador, and he was just sitting there on the ambassador in the water, and he was like, this is pretty great. I'm pretty comfortable. And then the ambassador, you know, snapped his fingers or whatever he did under the water to make titanium levitation lift him off of the ambassador, but it lifted up the whole river with it. And so then he's hanging up there, and then when he's looking down, he sees the ambassador with more chickens. That's right. There were chickens up there at some point. Um, oh yes, and, we, and the, remember they had the eggs. The eggs turned right. into the eggs into, turned a into a chicken, right? And then, uh, and then the ambassador the, created the ambassador three other itself. more three other chickens. So then they all each had their own chickens. There were four chickens, and now at the edge of the river, uh, because he, I guess he's a magician, the ambassador. Uh, and then at the edge of the river, uh, chickens turn into a bunch of chickens, and they carry him off into the into the woods. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They carry yeah. him. They just carry him right off. <laughs> it's a really terrifying image. Yeah. And so then then we get what we've gotten in this in this section here where where our main character kind of, you know, gets back falls down back into the water and and climbs up the hill and then he reunites with Macy and Chevron and Macy is uh defiant about the importance of them following the ambassador and so they start following the ambassador. But while they're following the ambassador, it turns out they're being followed, right? Yep, they're being followed and... By the follower or uh, pursuer. Exactly, the pursuer, who then is following them so well that he passes he or them she. by. Right, or no, it was he or a she. he, it is a he. Yeah, he passes them by and just keeps going and is following their trail ahead of them. And so they didn't know where they were going, so they figured, well, if he's following us and passed us by... And logically, he has to know where we're going. So let's follow him. Right, exactly. So then we get to this final bit that I wrote where the main character, uh, Kelvin, is kind of just a little, you know, wearied by the whole thing because it's all so confusing. And um, and then <laughs> he realizes, actually, they're, they've kind of, you know, their whole plan, him and Macy, was to find out if the eggs work and then follow the ambassador. And it turns out that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, there's all this other stuff, but <laughs> they're kind of on schedule. So he's like, all right, well, let's take a load off here. Let's celebrate this, <laughs> this success that we've had this morning, well, even though it doesn't feel like a success. And um, while he's thinking about that, they, they end up discovering that um, something strange is going on. Which is they can hear, from what I assume, the narration they can hear each other's thoughts. Book. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, they can hear each See, other's thoughts. I assumed that they could hear the narration, which is his thoughts as he narrates this. No, because remember, he can hear he can hear Macy too. Mm. Remember the last line is you know the second yeah, last is that, Macy yeah. looked me square in the eye and without moving her lips said, "We can read your thoughts," and then he says, "I can hear yours too." Hmm. Right. I wouldn't necessarily call this a journey. I would definitely call this at this point a trip. <laughs> <laughs> well, neither of us have any idea of what's going on. I, we I, just open up our <laughs> our computer, look at what the last person wrote, and think, "Oh, okay. Well, what more can I? Where else can we put them? Yeah, we've what kind else of, can happen? We've kind of been introducing new notions uh, more frequently than we're uh, extrapolating old ones. 
Yeah, we're not solving anything, <laughs> just interesting new ones. It's kind of like a um, new operating system for like a computer. It's like, well, we're not going to solve any new ones, any old problems. But look at this. We have new things. Look at what you can do. And look, more things that don't work. Yeah, exactly. I, I swear to you, if anyone is listening from anywhere, um, go ahead and type on your iPhone or iPad in like the Notes app or really anywhere else a contraction. And you'll notice it's underlined with a red little squiggly because the iPhone and the iPad and all of iOS doesn't understand contractions. It thinks they're misspellings. That's been a problem for years now. Oh, I just thought I had really bad spelling. No, it, it thinks contractions are misspelled. It's really That's stupid. Funny. So can't. Yeah, no, I've noticed that word is some similar and with... Um, with putting dashes word used to be you can put a dash on anything and it thinks it's a word it's like oh okay there's a dash here that must be real (laughs) so let's see so uh let's go back and see if there's anything um any any initial thoughts um on on the pieces that that stick out here for you the pass it do oh that was a reference yes yeah yeah i did make a reference to a um uh, my uh, really, I can I think I'd say just my favorite artist is um, the composer James Horner, who passed away uh, two years ago. But he, uh, one of the last things he wrote was a, um, a concert piece called "Pass to Do," which is fantastic, and uh, it is a concerto for cello and violin with the orchestra, and uh, called it a "Pass to Do," which is a, I think it's like a word for for like a ballet essentially, where it's like two two individuals kind of. Um, building on each other and, and bouncing back and forth. Sounds like boxing to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he did the music to Titanic. Uh, yep. And yep. Avatar. And Braveheart. And Braveheart. Yeah, and he mostly works in, in Hollywood or worked in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, so that, that that stood out to me a lot. I, I did, like I said, I did like that you brought up everything, sort of basically everything that's going on mm-hmm. in the story in this last pair, in this last, well... It's not really 500 paragraphs in one paragraph. Yeah, it's quite in this long. Last it's paragraph the longest piece section. Think, so far. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else? What else stood out? Don't get me started. This one did seem a little shorter, but I was looking at the time. It did take us about 12 minutes or mm-hmm. almost 15 minutes to read the whole thing. Yeah, there are some longer, certainly some longer pieces there. I brought in uh, the Zoetranian Sea. I loved that, that you brought in the Zoetranian Sea. And I went back because I thought uh, last, last night when I sat down to write the last one, I thought, oh, let's get them to Zoic, you know, the place that we had built before. Um, but then that kind of that, that idea was dashed pretty much immediately. Um, in, the same, in the same section that I wrote. So yeah. Zoic, Zoic is our other book that we're trying to sell you. Um, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is Zoic. Uh, <laughs> this is Zoic, and uh, but you you, and you you seem like it's a fictional it's a fictional place that we that we created, and uh, there's a Zoic Terranian Sea. So I thought it'd be fun maybe to maybe to at least mention it. So it's in the same universe. I mean, it has to be because nothing is crazier than these things that were. <laughs> if anything's crazier than this, then it's that other book. So if you're enjoying being completely confused about what's going on, then you should definitely buy our book for two ninety nine on the Kindle. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I feel like because these are paragraphs or kind of like short pages, essentially, rather than whole chapters, we don't have time to totally explain an idea. Um, because I think we we both had the sense of of explaining ideas in there and exploring them in full in a chapter. 
um, and then handing it over to the next person to, to introduce a new idea. Um, but because we don't have full chapters, we're kind of introducing them. We haven't limited the number of our ideas. <laughs> we've, no. just, we've just condensed them into one little into paragraph. Or, and then said, and here you go. <laughs> I, think, I think that's the problem with trying to think about what you want to happen. Mm-hmm. Like you write something like, oh, this is great. I can't wait for this to happen when he writes this. Or like for me to explain this. And you can't hold, you can't um, hope that the next person is going to write what you want them to so you can write what you want to. And I think that's where it gets very confusing. So I try not to have any expectations for mm-hmm. what you're going to write. And I try and get everything I want out in that, in that one little paragraph. So yeah, so it's filled with ideas. But I think it'd, been even, it'd be even worse if we both ignored each other. Which um, sometimes like you're like, no, 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 I want this to happen. Um, and sometimes we do do that and that's okay. But I think that's where it gets, you can't expect anything. Mm -hmm. That's why we don't know what's going to happen. I don't think either of us have a notion of what is going to happen. Yeah. It's kind of fun. I I really have no notion whatsoever. Um, and and when I sat down to write yesterday, I didn't know what was going to happen until I wrote it. Uh, (laughs) I had some, I had some naughty notions as one might say. Um, (laughs) But I didn't know exactly what would happen. Well, actually, when I first sat down, I thought, you know, maybe I'll do what we had suggested in one of the previous podcasts, and I'll just kind of change it up completely, and there will be a different narrator. And I, and I actually was halfway through a sentence, and then I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, and I didn't quite go there yet. Uh, but I think we're working our way there. Mm-hmm. I definitely see that in your, in your last paragraph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But certainly in this last one, one thing that, that weighed heavily on me was thinking about um, uh, thinking about P.G. Woodhouse again. And because I think probably because I'm listening to the, to the score to that, um, every single one of these I write, um, I was definitely trying to inhabit the, uh, the mind and style of, of Bertie Wooster in, um, <laughs> in this one. I don't know if that, if that came through at all. No, it did, especially... Um, the tut tut, but that, that to me reminded <laughs> me of Winnie the Pooh, which is a friend, which is written by A.A. A. Milne, or is it Milma? I can never tell. M-I-L-N-E. Milne sounds um, good to me. Who was friends, who was friends with, with Woodhouse for a bit, uh, the very similar writing style, but that reminds me, tut tut looks like rain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like this. Uh, so that sentence so, says, I don't even know what that means. I have it's to say something. Weird... I have to say something about this, Macy. Tut tut, I tutted. You know very well, well, what? Um, <laughs> tut tut. I think of tut tut as like a kind of like a you're you're wagging your finger at them, you know. Tut tut. Mm. You know this won't do. Um, that's kind of my sense of it. I just always imagine King Tut. I've n- <laughs> <laughs> makes no sense. Um, but yeah, some of these it's like they're counting them. Oh, you got one tut there, one there. Some of these, um, yeah, the, these particularly this paragraph about taking a deep breath and uh, there there's there's I guess I kind of had identified because I have been reading on and off and um, just immersing myself a little more in P.G. Woodhouse. There's something about the way that he writes for Bertie Wooster that I absolutely love. And I wish more people wrote this way, which is that the, the character and the narrative on the page is a thinking person who is thinking out loud in a way, um, but in a way that makes it feel like it's still written, you know, it's, it's written well, but it's got that sense of um, stream of consciousness. So, yeah. so but not a confusing, not right, a confusing, stream right? Of not a confusing stream not of like consciousness. Joyce. 
but just kind of like, you know, they're, they're dancing around and trying to find the right words to explain what they're saying. So, you know, it begins right away here in this, in this section where it says, it was all a bit wearying, you know, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I was wearied by the events of the afternoon. Well, late morning. My God, was it still morning? Um, so it's like he's kind of correcting himself. Um, he's realizing, oh, wait, well, it's not afternoon. It's, it's still morning. Um, and, and he makes it seem like a conversation with mm-hmm. you because he always says, you know, uh, if you were reading this or if you happen to be here at this time or uh, as you are probably familiar with the last novel, and if not, I, I'm sorry if you have to hear this again, but I'm going to dish out and explain to you exactly what happened in our last book. But if you want to, you can, you know, go off, make breakfast, come back, and well you'll catch up, you'll be right where I left off. You know what I mean? Right, and that's and that's in, yeah. um, what's the one uh, about the cow creamer, Jamie? What's it called? The Code of the Woosters. The Code of the Woosters. In that, in the opening of that, he says, because it's an, a continuing story, so he says, I don't know if you've been following the previous stories, but I'm going to give you a quick, a quick summary of what happened, and if you already know this, then you can, you know, skip a few pages or, you know, go ahead, um, and then we'll continue the narrative later. Um, but yeah, it's just that consciousness of the, of the, of the listener. And so, you know, when he says, and I'm not ashamed to say it, I mean, who's he talking to there? He's talking to you, the the reader. I'm wondering if he, if he, since he was in the late 1800s, early 19, well, you're talking now about the early 1900s. I'm talking about PG Woodhouse now, uh, that style. There are, there are other writers who wrote very similarly. And to me, it kind of might have something to do with the fact that a lot of books in those days, I'm not saying his books, his books I think were published as books, were written primarily for uh, magazines. So they're serialized. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that, that, is a, that is a style that a lot of writers back then had. And I, I like that style because it really makes it feel a little more personal. Yeah, yeah. And you're closer as opposed to this very serious narrative and like you you are nothing to the narrative as the reader right you're just following along looking through a glass right but this this is actively bringing you into it Mm -hmm. and there's absolutely a for a lot of writing if you think about it there's like a sense of destiny in a lot of writing like this is the way it is it couldn't be any other way you know and sound like an artist (laughs) <laughs> well, no, this painting's the only way it should be. There is a sense of destiny in my work. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is there's not, there's not, there's not in the world. In the world, you're just kind of living it and you're figuring it out as you go. And so, um, so you, you say things like, um, let's say, uh, I slipped off my loafers, squeaked off, I should say. They were still wet and not friendly in their atmosphere. In, in a sense, they stink, right? I, I tossed them mm-hmm. a few paces away. After all, what is the celebration without the right atmosphere? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just a, a real sense of kind of figuring it out. Oh, oh and another thing I love about P.G. Woodhouse, kind of extending that sense of figuring it out, is um, he recognizes the limits of his characters. Sometimes it's his character's don't have their finger on on the world quite as fully as probably the author does, you know? So, the, you know, you get sentences like, and the only thing missing was the lull of a brook or stream or something, you know? Like, they can't really get the word. They, there's there's a line in, and then, um, and in one of the P.G. Woodhouse books where he says, um, it's, it's, it's like that f- fellow chap, uh, you know, I forget his name or something, but, but he did this thing and he did that. He, Jeeves would know. And, and, he, and, he, and he keeps like explaining it, um, even though obviously the author would know 
what what reference there is well and he'll he'll do it he'll do he'll do something about shakespeare in the same vein he will like i don't remember what poet fella said this (laughs) but it's something to do with with uh um you know like the king and somebody being poisoned like he'll bring up these references that the reader will know yeah um and they'll know the author but the 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 but woodhouse's character wooster has no idea and he'll misquote things and stuff like that but it's very um it's a very honest mm-hmm. way yeah. of writing, a very funny way of writing, because uh, it gives you more information about the character. Yeah, about their limitations as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what I introduced. I mean, I, I'm certainly learning a lot doing more reading of his work because, um, you know, we like to present our characters often as we would present or think ourselves, you know, or think of ourselves. Um, Brilliant. But, <laughs> or not. Um, but you, <laughs> but uh, for example, um, you know, this line is certainly a, a result of that. And don't get me started um, with the, there are more ants on earth than there are molecules in the universe. Now, of course, I know for sure that is not correct. Um, but I love that line so much. <laughs> That's why I mentioned it again in my other one. I think that I thought that was, I laughed so much at that line. <laughs> well, thank you. But, but, you know, we've all heard those sayings, right? There's more, what, what is it? I don't remember what it is actually myself. It was something like. I think it was, there were more connections in the brain than yes. there are atoms in the universe. And that was from the movie Amelie. Yes. And, and that's, yeah. and that's true, I believe, but it doesn't seem possible. So. Um, <laughs> that makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so that's kind of where there's I. There's more space in this. <laughs> there's more space in my closet than there is in my entire house. Well, now that gets us into Sorry. House of Leaves, frankly. I would highly yeah. recommend that book. It's Narnia. Um, yeah. And, and um, the bag of our good friend. Uh, um, what's her name? Mary Poppins. Oh, uh, Mary Poppins. Yes. Or the Doctor's uh, uh, Doctor Tardis Who, yes, there. Yes, there's, there's a lot of yeah. So basically, that, that could be true. <laughs> and knowing uh, my friend who, who has this closet, yeah, for how many clothes they have, that, that has to be true. Their whole house is basically a closet. <laughs> um, but what I was saying here, what I was leading towards, is um, there's, there's a conversation here between, in this section, Don't Get Me Started, which we read today, um, where Chevron is explaining to him these ants, which, by the way, that completely confounded me, the idea that, that, that chickens could be ants. Um, so I think... <laughs> it, so that, that's kind of what this section was about, explaining, trying to figure out myself how in the world could chickens be ants, because ants are way smaller than chickens. I just, I just thought it'd be fun to have actor ants. You have your soldier ants. You no, I love other that. other types of ants. Then you have your actor ants, obviously. No, it's, it's hilarious. Um, but then I was like, well, they, they'd have to all be working together, not just... You know, it'd take many, many ants to become one chicken. And so um, I have this section where he says, uh, or Chevron says, but to make what looks like 15 chickens takes many more ants than even you or I might surmise. And then, <laughs> and then Ke- Kelvin says, 40, I said boldly. <laughs> like, like 40 ants is a bold, is a bold number. <laughs> To make 15 chickens obviously would take away more than 40. <laughs> and then he continues with yeah, the 40,000. Like um, but I like that idea that he thinks that's a bold, that's a bold statement. There, there, there is a, there is a tendency among writers to make, um, their characters come off as being a lot brighter than they should. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you know, you'll make them flawed. You'll make them seem like 
you know, that their flaws aren't their language. But I think language should also be a flaw. Right. Absolutely. You know, and it should come off. It should come off in their language. They shouldn't be perfect all the time. And I think that's a that's a big issue. It's like they make all these mistakes, but yet they can speak so perfectly. And I think that that there's so much life you can put in language if they're very confused when they're having a conversation as a, and as opposed to like mentioning it in the narrative. It's fun to mention it in the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a you want a thinking a thinking person on the page, and if they're thinking, or as, uh, for our case, uh, characters that don't think, right? At least very well, right? Um, but if their thinking is is flawed, then then that should come out in their speech. And I feel like there's a sense of like you said, writers who want to present characters who are flawed because that's round characters or whatever they believe. Um, but they present them as flawed in their personal lives or something and not necessarily flawed in their thinking, um, which I think is a lot more more interesting, frankly, than a character yeah. who's just happens to make bad decisions or whatever. It's yeah. rather boring, <laughs> I think. He was, he was very perfect in his speech. However, he walked in front of a car. Um, not a good idea. Uh, what was I going to say? I do, I do love this sentence that you have in the beginning of there is a thrill in falling. There is a thrill in falling. This thrill is the reason why skydiving is a pastime and the sort of pastime I always pass on. That's because I don't like, I don't ever want to go skydiving. And me neither. Ever. Frankly. I don't. I mean, I love it. It is a I actually, pastime I want to pass on. I actually do love heights, but I would not like to have that sense of, I don't know, it just seems uh, like a death wish. Well, it's a lack of control. Yeah. And you have to have faith in this this flimsy little thing that's supposed to pop out and save you. Like, it's a bloody bed sheet. I'm not going to jump out of an airplane with a bed sheet. Yeah, I think well, it's... If the, thing, if the thing's going to land... <laughs> Why not just you know, stay on? You know, like, just <laughs> stay on. Um, We're not crashing the thing. Oh, guys, we got to get out of here. I mean, if you have to, to survive, I mean, sure. Uh, somebody will have to throw me out of it. Now, yeah, that's true. That's true. If, you, if, if the plane is crashing, then certainly this is the better option. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's kind of funny to examine, and this has nothing to do with writing whatsoever, but I, I would love to go to one of those places, you know, where they have a big fan and you just kind of like step into the center of it and you're kind of like hovering there. The fan is pushing you up with air pushing mm. you up. And so it's like you're skydiving and people actually do some interesting skydiving contests and interesting, interesting maneuvers and things. It's actually quite beautiful. It's amazing what they can do. Um, I'd yeah, be very, really cool videos of that. Yeah. I'd be YouTube. very, we'll put that in our show notes, but I'd be very yeah. interested to do that. Um, cause you get the same sense of it, but there's, there's a, certainly a sense of safety and, and it's kind of how I feel about, I, I love biking <laughs> on, on, on a bicycle, not a, not a motorbike or anything. Um, but I love, I love biking, but people do this like BMX off-road biking on these incredibly dangerous courses that are insane, like straight down a mountain, you know, with all the rocks and the trees. And I mean, you could completely lose it. And I think that would be an incredibly exciting sport if we had multiple lives, (laughs) but we only have one as far as we know. And, um, it's really not, unfortunately, it's not worth it. Yeah. I, sometimes I feel like, um, I'm not much of a thrill seeker and, uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I, for me, for yeah. me, for me, a thrill is like going through customs at the airport, <laughs> you know, 
you know, I, my heart starts pounding. I get so nervous. I'm sweating. I'm like, Oh my gosh, am I going to make it? You know, to me that that's a thrill enough. (laughs) That's enough thrill. (laughs) Uh, I think our character might might feel the same way, probably. Yeah, and I, I think, think so the most too. some of the most interesting characters are those who who are not thrill seekers but find themselves in those situations, and uh, their <laughs> reactions are a lot more interesting, right? If they were, yeah, because they don't want to be there, right? <laughs> like I can imagine our character Kelvin or one of these people in a plane that's crashing. They're throwing him a. Uh, um, uh, a parachute, and he's like, "Well, what if I just stay on here?" And these <laughs> seats are awfully comfortable. What are these seat? What else are these seat belts for? Like, you know, if something happens, look, something's happening now. I'll just stay up here. I think it'll be fine. You know, like why don't why don't planes have airbags? That would be my first thing. You know, they probably do. I'm, I'll stay. I'll I'll stay to find out. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um. So, uh, there was one more thing I wanted to say. About and that is the fun, I will say, since you're, you're thinking right there, that is a fun thing to do, is take a character who's completely terrified of something, or you don't know if they're terrified of it, and then putting them in that situation mm-hmm. and seeing what they do, particularly a fastidious character like ours, or a nervous one. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. nervous one. And, and, you know, we still don't know, I was thinking about this uh, today before we recorded, we still don't really know, we know, I, I tried to explain a little bit more about Macy and her personal background, um, in one of these uh, pieces here. Um, but we still don't really know what their relationship is to each other. And we still don't yeah, know. Yeah, we don't know if they're brother and sister, boyfriend or girlfriend, friends, coworkers. They could be married. We don't know. We Who have knows? no idea. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of Back to the Future. We have no idea how they know each other. That's true. We don't know Doc how Doc Marty. or Marty. Yeah. yeah. No backstory. Yeah. And they're just, they're just, we know that they care about each other and they happen to be thrown into the situation together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and we don't know Kelvin what his background is exactly at all, you know. No, or Chevron. We don't even know what the ambassador's background is. No, we don't. I feel like we know we know more about titanium levitation. We don't know this world. Mm-hmm. Every we don't know anything really. <laughs> we're just we're just thrown into it like they are. Yeah. Well, that's that's what makes it fun, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose. I don't know why I said it that way. <laughs> well. um... Anything, I guess we don't really, I guess we shouldn't say about where we think it's going, right? I mean, we, we just said we don't well, know. Well, I, yeah, I think, I think we did say that potentially something with the narrative, um, like changing or perspective, but mm-hmm. we, we really don't know. It could happen. It could not happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I would imagine they, we, we have to find out who, also who this pursuer is, um, and what what this story is about them reading each other's thoughts is that just because they're in this place is it because of something the pursuer did is it something they've always been able to do and they're just noticing now <laughs> i mean and, and where that would be funny. where is the ambassador where yeah. is he taken like what are these ants doing with him yeah and what, what what's the motivation of the ants what are they all about <laughs> Maybe they're throwing a play. And remember, and remember Chevron's, an audience. Chevron's warning here, you know, anyone at any time could be an ant or, you know, a bunch of ants. And, yeah. It's a little scary. Kind of reminds me of uh, Michael Crichton's Prey. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's actually true. Yeah, I, I haven't read that in a while, but it is, that's an interesting notion. Can you yeah. explain to the audience what that is? Uh, nanotechnology uh, becoming sentient and taking on human form, mm-hmm. basically taking over bodies. And you think you're, it's them, but it's not them mm-hmm. because 
they've kind of taken over that form. It's a very disturbing book, but very good. Prey by Michael Crichton. Well, that's about it, I'd say. Would you? I would. <laughs> say what? <laughs> say it. Say it's over. Oh, I would agree there. Yeah, you can follow each day's paragraph at armistisdesigns.com slash paragraphingblog or on Twitter at graphingblog. And um, definitely take a look at the show notes. We'll have some links in there to some of the items we talked about today. And um, there'll also be links to where you can follow and uh, learn more about us. And now, if you'll excuse Jamie. Yes, if you can please excuse me. I have a paragraph to write. Right on. <laughs>